our uh, video team had a lot of fun this week uh, working on the bumper video, didn't they? Yeah, I thought that was great. So uh, this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about um, like how to read the Bible, like, like just like how do we, how do we approach it? Because, uh, you know, we, uh, we've heard from uh, a bunch of you, we've uh, been hearing a little bit about like folks just saying, you know, I'm trying to engage the Bible more, but there's just things about it that just seem uh, confusing or weird or strange. And so we thought, Let, let's do a message that just talks about like part of the basics of engaging uh, the Bible here. So it is great to have all of you here for uh, this talk. All of you that are here, if you're new, it's great to have you. If uh, if you're online, it is great to have you uh, joining us uh, here. So we're going to look at this issue of how do we engage the Bible. And let me illustrate part of what I think goes on that creates frustration or problems for us uh, at times. I'm going to illustrate it this way. Uh, uh, it's been a while. I have this uh, old Jeep, and I was trying to put transmission fluid in it because it leaks all the time. And... <clears throat> I was in a hurry and I forgot to put transmission fluid in it the night before. And so I was like, I'm going to put some in right now. And I couldn't find the funnel. I've got this like long skinny funnel that reaches down to the little spot where you put the fluid in there. And I'm a little frustrated. I'm looking around and my kids had this shake the day before that had like a great big straw, but it was like bigger around than normal. And I'm like, I could just use that. So I grabbed this great big straw, it's like this big around, and I reached down there, and sure enough, I get it right into the little hole where you, you put the transmission fluid in. The problem is, like, I'm holding it down here, and I've got the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the cord of transmission fluid, and I'm trying to just, like, you know, like, dribble it into the straw right there. So I'm doing that, and at first, like, it seems pretty good, like, sort of. I mean, I'm getting oil all over my hands, but it's going in there, and then I tipped it a little too far forward, and you know, when you do that, it goes that, like, look, 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 and then it's like, you know, and I'm just like, and I'm just like, I'm just going to hang with it. Now I'm just going to hang in there. I'm going to get this, you know, and I've got fluid going over there, and I'm just like, finally I get like what I think is enough fluid in there. I wipe off my hands, and I'm just like, like it, it worked. It worked. But really, I should have gotten that funnel. I should have figured out where the funnel was. Um, so I start driving down Oracle, and you know, the engine starts to warm up. The exhaust gets hot. And suddenly smoke starts billowing out because like I just made a mess, right? If you don't use a funnel, you make a mess. It's, it's literally what happened. And so it's, and now the smoke is like pouring off of it. And again, I'm still like, I'm just, I'm going to see this through, right? I pull up to this light and a minivan pulls up next to me and they're like, there's a little kid in the back seat sitting in his car seat and he looks over at me as the smoke is now like, <laughs> and I can tell I know what's in his heart. Like, he's like, mister, your car is on fire, right? And I wanted to say, I, I couldn't find my funnel, okay? You know, because I made a mess, right? If you don't use a funnel, you make a mess, right? But the issue here, and this is what I want to get at, is, right, the, the problem was I was starting with something like this big, trying to, you know, pour it in there. And here's what happens sometimes when it comes to the Bible, we take a single verse, we take like one little thing, and we're trying to draw all of this deep meaning out of it and apply it in all of these different ways. And it's like we're sitting there like trying to do this, and, and if we don't use a funnel, we end up making a mess. And, and what I want to do this morning, really simple, I want to talk about there's a kind of funnel um, like, we'll, we'll just call it a biblical funnel, for how to approach the Bible, how to, how to just read the Bible that actually takes something at a wider scope that you can really get your mind around and then funnels it down 
so that you have something mean, so you don't make a mess, um, and, and you can actually get something uh, from the Bible. And this happens. Let me give you an example of what happens when we don't use the funnel. So it's probably this, I don't know, may, maybe the second or third year that I was uh, a pastor long time ago, okay? And uh, there was a lady in my church, this is back in Michigan, and she was really distraught. She talked to me, there was a passage she read, she didn't understand it, just whatever, and you know, and I was doing like home visits and all this stuff. So I went and saw her, and I'm just like, well, you know, what's going on? Like, tell me what's going on. And she had a Bible that was a read through the entire Bible in a year, which is not a bad thing. But I will say this, if you are new to the Bible, don't start with that, right? Because what, what it has you do is it, read, it has you reading different passages out of, you know, parts of the Old Testament, parts of the Psalms, parts of the New Testament, and you're just kind of going through the whole Bible this way. Well, she was doing that. She got to Leviticus 19. And in Leviticus 19, right, and some of you are less like, oh man, there is some like really boring stuff in Leviticus 19, until you get to uh, her verse, and it says very clearly in, in Leviticus 19, it says, do not, do not mark your body with a tattoo of any kind. And this is in a section about if you do any of these things, like you are out of God's community, you are separated from the people, you are like, and Years and years earlier, when she was much younger, she had gotten several tattoos. And now she's like, and I read this verse, and this is like, God doesn't want you in his community. And this is just like, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And I was new in ministry, right? Okay. So I handled it in this delicate, gentle way of just saying, well, if you're not like a 13th century Hebrew dabbling with Canaanite worship, I think you're fine. But she just starts crying. I'm like, what she goes, I didn't know I was doing Canaanite worship. And I'm just like, oh no, no, I didn't mean that. I was just, you know, just trying to be funny. And now she's just like, eh. and now she starts going back. That's why, like, and she started listing all of these bad things that had happened to her, like in the last five or 10 years, thinking, thinking that because of this one verse, all of these bad things have happened because she got a tattoo and God was doing this to her. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, like no, see, it's this, and I'm like, trying to explain this thing to her. I said, it's not like a big deal. And somewhere I mentioned, um, oh, do you, I know. She goes, can I get these removed or whatever? And I'm like, well, I, I don't know. I don't have any. She's like, oh, no, you don't. I'm like, well, it's not because there's like, and it, and in the end, let me just say this. If you have a tattoo, don't worry about it, okay? That's wonderful, okay? More power to you, okay? Um, but for her, right, she started with something this big, one verse out of an Old Testament book that says, do not mark your body with a tattoo. And she derived all this meaning in it, all this meaning about what God was doing in her life for, you know, five, ten years before this, all of this stuff. Because here's the thing, right? If you don't use a funnel, you what? You make a mess. That's right. You make a mess. And she wasn't trying to, but that's what happened. And, and you know, and this is important. I, and as we were, as a preaching team, as we were talking, we said, yeah, we need to do this message because, you know, so often this will happen and it puts a kind of weird burden on people at different moments. It loads people up with pain or guilt that they don't need to go through or it creates confusion or it just makes the Bible ever, how many of you have ever read a verse in the Bible and you just go, I have no idea what that means. That ever happened to you? Yeah, see, like, it happens to all of us. Um, so what if we had a way 
to at least as, in a more holistic way approach the Bible um, that has a kind of funnel that just helps us so that, so that you don't feel like, you know what, uh, the Bible's not my thing. Because I think there's something with Scripture that is so valuable for all of us. But if you don't have a funnel, it's, it's just going to feel like there's lots of smoke and there's, you know, fire and I'm not getting anything out of this, right? So I want to walk through this simple, simple thing uh, here. And, and let me give one illustration to this idea because there's an idea I hear oftentimes uh, and it's this. It's shouldn't we just read the Bible at face value? I should be able to just read a passage or a verse and not overcomplicate it and just take it at face value. And what I want to say is, that's a wonderful sentiment, but it will make a mess, okay? Let, let me give you one example. Uh, I'm going to read you a couple of verses here. And just, even if you know the background of these verses, don't worry about that. Just think of these two verses at face value. The first one is this. This is found in Romans chapter 3, verse 28. And the author Paul writes this. He says, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith right? You're justified by faith apart from the works of the law. The works, our faith is not about works. You're not justified. You're not saved. You're nothing about works, right? That's what he says. Now, uh, let me read a verse to you out of the book of James, which is also in the New Testament. And he writes this in James chapter 2, verse 24. He says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, right? What they do, that's works, what they do, and not by faith alone. It's like, so think about those two verses just at face value. You're like, feels like there's a great big contradiction there. And you know what? If you just take them at face value, there is. But that's not how the Bible was meant to be read, right? There, there's, there's this kind of funnel that we need that will actually help make sense of the Bible in ways that will help you apply it. So let, let me, just with the rest of the time I have, um, walk through this simple funnel, this, this way to approach Scripture. So I want you to think about this. I'm going to start with this, like, you know, think of this big funnel, right? And the place to start is with this question, who is Jesus? So at the, at the widest opening, Start with, who is Jesus, right? That's like step one. Because if you start there, right, there's this thing about who Christ is, that whatever we're understanding about Scripture needs to line up with who we know Jesus to be, right? He is this picture of, of Christ. It's interesting, uh, oftentimes people will reference like there's a God of the Old Testament and then there's this different God of the New Testament. We like that God a lot better. And what they're trying to describe is, I'll read things in the Old Testament and sometimes they read them in the New Testament and it's just like, I, like, I don't know what to do with this. And it just all seems, you know what? Scripture is so clear about this. If you want to understand who, Jesus, or who God is, start with Jesus. That is the clearest, most accurate picture we have of Christ. Uh, growing up, I had a friend 
uh, who his dad like was all fun and games. Like he, he, like he was a clown, wanted to hang out with all of his son's friends and we had a great time. And he was always fun except for when he wasn't because every once in a while he'd be like in a really grumpy, I mean grumpy mood. And the, it got to where like we never knew who was going to be there when we showed up. And so, you know, whenever I'd go over to his house, it's always like, is your dad here? I, like, before I, you know, just come and plop myself down in the living room, I want to know which of your dads is showing up because he might have me doing chores before I can escape this and we're all done, right? And I want to know that ahead of time. And sometimes when we read the Bible and we don't start with Jesus, it's like you can read one little verse and you can begin to form like this idea, God must be this way or doing this thing, but we miss it. Start with, who is Jesus? Like you'll never go wrong. That, that is the biggest opening we have. Um, Colossians chapter one uh, says this about Christ. It says he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. And here's my point out of this. Jesus supersedes everything. That, like, so, when you're trying to understand the Bible, start with Jesus. Um, and if your understanding of a passage doesn't fit who Jesus is, maybe go back and just say, maybe there's more I need to understand about that passage in there. You know, this past summer, we did a series called um, How We Got Here. And in one of those weeks, we looked at uh, our own tradition and our own uh, history going all the way back to the beginning of the Reformation because we're, we're like, uh, our, we have Protestant roots. And you know, those early Protestants were so committed. I mean, fanatically committed to studying a scripture. They were scholarly in all of the things they did. And then you see this weird thing, and we talked about it, remember this for, in the series? Um, how they got to this place where they would have these disputes that we would look at and go, those are pretty minor. But they became vicious as they worked through what the Bible was saying. They became so vicious that at times they persecuted one another. They ended up killing one another by the thousands. And you're like, how? How do you study the Bible and end up killing other followers of God over studying the Bible? Because they didn't use a funnel. They didn't start with who is Jesus. Because if they would have started with who is Jesus, his character, right? If he is who we're to model our lives after, we wouldn't have gone down the path of persecuting one another. So start with who is Jesus. Now, second step, second step in all of this is understand the big story, all right? And what I mean by this is what is the big story of Scripture? So now start with Jesus and now narrow it a little bit. And, and here's what's important to understand is um, that the Bible, uh, while it is a collection of all of these uh, different books and letters and literature, um, God is using it 
to tell this, this long overarching story. He is up to something in that. And the question is, do you understand what the overarching story is? Because until you understand that, it's like you're back to like trying to, you know, pour something down a little bitty funnel and get all of this biblical meaning out of something that is really uh, gonna make a mess. Because what? If you, you, if you don't use a funnel, you make a mess. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, do you remember in the 80s, and some of you are just like, the 80s, I wasn't even born yet, Glenn. <clears throat> um, there, was, there was a movie that came out in the 80s called Karate Kid. How many of you, right? The original? Okay, good. A bunch of you, yeah. So remember Karate Kid, Daniel Sun. He, he gets picked on by a bully, and he wants to learn how to fight. He wants to learn how to strike and punch, and he meets Mr. Miyagi who's like this karate expert or something. And so he asked Mr. Miyagi, will you teach me karate? Because what Daniel's son sees is, I, I, like, I want to I hit this bully back and protect myself. And Mr. Miyagi says, I'll teach you karate. And what is one of the first things Mr. Miyagi has Daniel's son start doing? Yeah, wax on, wax off, yeah. Why don't you clean my windows? Wax my car. And how does Daniel react to it? He's just like, I want to learn karate, and you've got me doing chores around the house. Now, what we all know, right, is that he was missing the overall story. He, he's looking at a moment of wax on, wax off, and he's like, but he doesn't understand that wax on, wax off is actually part of a larger story. He's actually learning karate in this moment. But even bigger than that, right, Mr. Miyagi isn't teaching Daniel's son karate so that he can go just beat somebody up. His, his dream, he wants to see Daniel's son grow up he wants to see Danielson become more mature. He wants Danielson to have moments when he doesn't strike. See? And it's only when Daniel begins to understand the bigger story that it all starts to make sense. And we need that out of Scripture. So there's a lot of different ways we could frame out like what is, what is the big story of Scripture, but can I just uh, outline it maybe in five parts uh, that would uh, maybe be uh, helpful here uh, for you. Let me do this. <clears throat> so let's start with this. Um, first step. God's dream. You know, in the very beginning, there is a dream that God has. A creation of human beings um, that is filled uh, with goodness and beauty, um, which leads to the second one. And, and, and I separated these out just to emphasize this next one. What he dreams of creating and does is what we might call a kind of life and relationship that is built on a really beautiful kind of love, right? He wants, he wants genuine life and relationship with his creation, with humanity, with you and me. And as, and as the story unfolds, what you come to understand is he makes humanity in a way that it can genuinely love him back. We are never forced or manipulated by God to love him back, are we? 
He's creating this beautiful, genuine relationship. But as the story unfolds, right, there is this struggle that humanity has with fear. Fear and insecurities. And out of those fears and insecurities, um, we all want to take control of those things that we fear, right? And so they want to be like God. And as they seek to be like God, what they actually do is destroy this beautiful bond and relationship they have with God. They, they, they like wreck this wonderful, beautiful thing. And then the story moves forward in this beautiful arc with Jesus. That in reality, you look all the way back to the very beginning of God's story, even in Genesis 1 and 2, and you see you see these little pictures of Jesus uh, coming through because he is redeem, redeeming everything. And through history, uh, you see him um, lifting and moving and doing all of these beautiful things to actually redeem humanity back to, last part of this story, um, is to move humanity back right, to God's dream. He's taking it back to this right here because it was God's original dream to create humanity and to bless us and to have life and relationship with us. This, this is the big story of Scripture. You look all, even in, the, even in the parts of Scripture where you just go, what is going on in here? You'll find that God is at work moving and doing beautiful things as a part of this story. And if you can begin to understand that story, see, all of a sudden, if you're reading something in Scripture and you're like, it has nothing to do with this, then you know what? Go back and look at it again. Because everything that you see in Scripture in one way or another is shaped and is a part of this story uh, that is uh, moving forward. And when we begin to understand that story, all of a sudden, there will be things that you will begin uh, to see in Scripture that you didn't see before. You'll ask different questions. You'll begin to understand God's movement behind the scenes. And, and what you're doing, again, is you're bringing Scripture down to something that becomes useful and meaningful in your life. So, um, next step in all of this. <clears throat> so, after the big story, the next way we kind of funnel this down is to look at the situation. What is the situation going on in Scripture? So uh, all of Scripture, all of those books, all the, they're not written in a void. They're not, they are written within a context in actual history with actual people where things are going on. There's all of these different situations. And so when you start trying to read Scripture, begin to understand what is the situation uh, that is going on with this. For instance, uh, when you think about some of the 
uh, even New Testament writers. Uh, people like Paul, when he writes to the book in uh, Corinth, or the, the church in Corinth, uh, this is a group that is mixed with Jews and Greeks, and so there are things that he say, says that pertain to people from a Greek background, where when he's writing to folks that aren't from a Greek background, just a Jewish background, there's going to be different... Uh, uh, illustrations that he's going to use, different language, all of these different things. This is a group in Corinth. There's a lot of infighting. They're struggling to get along with one another. But when you read uh, like the letters uh, from Peter, Peter writes a couple of letters. When he writes his letters, he's not writing to a group that's struggling with all of this infighting. He's writing to a group of people where the situation is they are at a point in history where the Roman government is now formally coming down to persecute and try and eliminate all Christians. They are under intense persecution. And when you understand that Peter is writing to a group of people in this situation, boy, you, you read his words differently. You realize, boy, he's writing this to people that wake up every morning with the knowledge and the fear that maybe Maybe they're going to come and arrest me. Maybe they're going to come after my family in this. But the Corinthians weren't thinking that. They were just like, you know, my, my fellow churchgoer is really bugging me right now. Like that totally different situation. And as you begin to understand the situation, it'll start to come to life more and more. You'll see why those authors are talking about the things that they're talking about in all of this. So um, let's narrow it just a little bit more. Fourth step in this is the writer right? Understand that when God uh, wrote scripture, right? He didn't, like, it's not like he dictated it from up in heaven and then, like, sent, you know, an email or a fax or, a, you know, whatever. He, he's using actual human beings. It's probably between 40 and 45 different individuals that God used to inspire his scripture. And he, he uses who they are. You see who they are come through scripture. So, if you take some time and begin to understand who the author is and what they're like, that will help you understand what's going on. Uh, something I've uh, heard Ryan say, like, you know, we sit in, in preacher meetings and we're, you know, and we study this stuff and work through all of this stuff. And one of the things he talks about is um, let the writer be human, right? When you look at a, a, a when you think about the author of any book in the Bible, don't make them into something that is, that is inhuman, right? They're human beings. They, they have desires and struggles and they have opinions and they, they're, they're real people. And God's using that as he inspires his word. And if we come to understand their differences, it will help us uh, understand what's, how the Bible uh, is being used in that moment, and it will help us use uh, the Bible in this. Now, I say this, and maybe you're just going like, okay, but now, Glenn, you're getting way out of my wheelhouse. Now, like, how do I find out about this stuff about the authors or the, you know, we're blessed uh, and uh, a little cursed, but we're blessed that, you know, even 20 years ago, it took a lot of work to go and find materials and you'd have to get commentaries or books that, you know, just weren't on everybody's shelf to understand some of this stuff. But, you know, we have this wonderful thing called Google now, right? You, you can do a little research. And I'm not saying trust everything that, you know, comes up on Google. In fact, please don't, all right? But use a little discernment, use multiple sources, and discover like, go, go through the process and just learn a little bit. Of, so before you begin to just read 
a book in the New Testament or the Old Testament, learn a little bit about the author. Because what you're doing is you're now narrowing, and I promise you, it, it will begin to shape your understanding of what God was doing through that passage of scripture as you begin to understand uh, the author a little bit more. You see how all of this is shaping? So then lastly, I'll say this. That was supposed to be a five. <laughs> is now actually look at the text itself. So you get the idea here? Before you begin analyzing the words themselves, start with this funnel that is actually now shaping What's going to happen when you start actually looking at the words themselves? What, what's being said uh, in all of this? And as you do this, again, there's some study that you uh, maybe uh, want to do. But as you look at it, you're not just taking it at face value anymore. You're actually taking all of these other things into consideration that will help you. And one of the things that is, is I, I want to encourage all of us to do, and this is a discipline that every one of us on the preaching team engages in, and it's this. To not take um, my Western modern lens or view of life and language and simply transpose that straight onto whatever it is I'm reading. I, I know I have it, I know it influences me, but just being aware that, that I have a bias, everyone does throughout all of time, but being aware of that bias, here's what it does. It frees me up to say, I wonder if that author had a different kind of bias that I could think about right now that would actually help me better understand what God was getting at, you know, 2,000, 2,500, 3,000 years ago, right? It is a massive span of time that Scripture was written over. And, and if I can just acknowledge, hey, I've got a bias, and, and it's not bad, it's just I need to be aware that the natural assumptions I might have might not be all that natural uh, when it comes to understanding what that passage of Scripture is saying. Um, which, if you're sitting here right now and going, okay, now you're, you made me a little nervous. Can I trust the Bible? And what I want to say is absolutely. Use this funnel, right? If you don't use a funnel, you're apt to what? Make a mess. Yeah. Use the funnel, but you can trust Scripture. You know, it's interesting. The, uh, there was a conference that occurred uh, not too long ago where uh, um, a lot of Christians from multiple uh, denominations all across the world got together and kind of looked at this thing about Scripture. And, and all of these different scholars and everything came away and they, and they said, you know, we can trust Scripture. And th they put something out that I thought would be worth saying right now. And, and it's this idea when it comes to the trustworthiness of Scripture. Like, can I trust it? it, it what they basically said is, you know, yeah, you can, absolutely, you can absolutely trust it and think of it, trust it in so much as it, it honestly, truly reflects the original intent of that author, um, that in so much as it, it reflects uh, the original audience, like what their needs are, what was going on there, and that purpose for that. Our job, though, 
is to understand, we, we need to get behind and begin understanding what was God doing with that author and that audience and what was his purpose there. And as we begin to understand what, was, what God was first doing with those passages of scripture, now I can ask myself, how would that apply to me? Because you can look at a passage in Leviticus and read it at face value and go, oh, you know, God gets really mad if you get a tattoo. But if you look at it through this funnel, uh, probably not. In, in fact, if you have a tattoo, be at peace. And, and this is not an endorsement of tattoos for those of you that are under 18 and your parents would cringe at the idea that, <clears throat> so please don't go and say, Glenn said I could get a tattoo, okay? Um, we'll just leave that there, right? All right? Um, so think about this. If you go back to um, that, those two verses that I read it, near the beginning that look like they were just like a total contradiction, right? I want you to think about this funnel for a second. You think about who Jesus is, and then you think about this big story of what God is trying to do and redeem and restore humanity back to life and relationship with him. And you begin to look at these, the situation that these two authors are in. Um, and if you start with Paul's situation, he's writing this. He writes uh, similar stuff in Ephesians and Galatians. He's writing to people, um, especially like in the book of Galatians, he's writing to people who have this outside influence that's trying to push them towards religious rule keeping. You find your justification and your righteousness and all of this religious rule keeping. Faith is not enough. He is trying to move them towards Jesus is enough. We're, following rules doesn't make us righteous. Trusting and following Jesus does. See, that's his situation. Now, here's what's interesting. When you look at the situation James is writing in, it's a different situation. He's not writing to a group of people that, they're, that are just naturally bring, uh, uh, drawn to, I need to keep all those religious rules. I need to keep all those religious rules. He's got a very different situation. His situation is he has a bunch of people that are like, I got the faith thing, right? Yes, it's by faith. So I'm just going to kick back and do nothing. And James is like, no, the point of your faith isn't to sit back and do nothing. Your faith should transform you, right? Your faith should lead you to be a part of God's big story, which what? Leads us back into life and relationship that is centered in love. And if you're not being transformed to love God and love others more, Maybe you need to ask yourself a few questions about how you're walking out your faith. James is trying to spur people on. In fact, when you look um, at what they write, uh, this begins to come out. So James is talking uh, about works, and, right, and he, he writes this, you know, follow the rule. You know, you got to do these things, these works. Look at what he says in James chapter 2, verse 8. He says this, if you really keep the royal law, right? And he's, you know, works, law, and royal law. This is the law above all laws. Look what he says. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. You know what he's not talking about there? He's not talking about all the religious rules that Paul was trying to push people off of, is he? He's talking about love. 
Your faith should lead you to loving others. Um, and then you ask a question, but does that mean that Paul was actually saying, you know, faith alone means you don't worry about how you live your life out at all. It's just faith. Stop worrying about how you live your life. No. In fact, if you uh, look at Galatians, if you flip over to Galatians chapter 5, the end of verse 6, this prof uh, just really powerful statement he makes, he says this, the only thing that counts is faith by itself. Uh, no. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. All of a sudden, isn't it interesting that when you look at the words of Paul and James without, oops, without any of this, you can read their words and it's like, it's a total contradiction. But if you take in all of this and you get down to their words and you look at it a little deeper, you go, they're actually leading us in the same direction to the same goal to the same place. And all of a sudden, then their words become really helpful for you and I, right? So if you're here this morning and you're struggling to get pulled back into like a rule-keeping life because you always have this fear, if I'm not doing enough, God's not going to love me or whatever. Well, Paul and James would say the same thing. Paul would say, stop it. Stop it. Trust Jesus. Jesus is enough, right? But if you're like, I got the faith thing and, you know, and I don't struggle with rule-keeping, and your real struggle is, like, you just, you cannot care for people. You're not growing in how you love. Well, James would say, I'm going to push on you a little bit. Because what good is your faith? What good is it to just be mouthy and say, I've got faith in you and big words. But the truth is, you're not being transformed by that faith. You're not becoming more loving, see? How you read the Bible, depending on your situation, based on using a funnel that helps you, all of a sudden, throughout all of Scripture, you can find things that actually become something really helpful in your life. So start using a funnel, because if you don't use a funnel, you just make a what? Yeah, that's right. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna close this out here and I just wanna say if you're a guest this morning, so good to have you. I mean, it's wonderful to have you. Whether you're new or been here for a while, it is great to have you. And I'm gonna be standing right over here by these uh, tables and I would love to just uh, shake your hand and welcome you uh, personally here this morning. Why don't you all stand and uh, I'm gonna close this out here this uh, morning. Let me pray. Father, we just thank you so much um, for your scripture. And we just uh, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we ask that you would um, give us a mind and a heart and a way to approach your word that brings life and relationship to us with you. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Have a great Sunday. and See you next week.